And today we come to what is called the end of an era concerning his life and what has transpired thus far. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help me to share this message and, as always, uh, help me to apply it to where we're at in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the reason for this season. In Christ's name we pray again. Amen. I, I heard about this man. There was this man who had a serious hearing problem. He had a very serious hearing problem for years. He went to the doctor and he was fitted with the state of the art, this high tech hearing aids. And he was able to hear 100% after receiving these hearing aids. He went back a month later to get a checkup by this hearing doctor. The doctor said, wow, your hearing is absolutely perfect. You can hear crystal clear. Your family must be so excited that you, that you can uh, hear again. He said, no, I haven't told my family yet. I haven't told them yet. I just sit around and I listen to different conversations. And I've changed my will three different times. Change is inevitable. Change is inevitable because time marches on. Time marches forward. It just goes forward and it goes on and on and on. You cannot restrain time. You cannot restrain the aging process. It just goes forward. David has been on the throne of Israel for 40 plus years. He's gone from, we've seen him from a shepherd boy, obedient son, killing the bear and killing the lion, anointed the king of Israel, being pursued by Saul from the mountains to the desert, finally elected king of Israel, and he's been on the throne 40 plus years. He's a little stooped, you might want to say, in his shoulders. He has gray hair in his head. David is up in years. He's no longer a young man. He has come to what we call the end of an era. I was reading recently about John Wycliffe, this Bible translator. He started the beginning of an era. It was through the efforts of this dedicated Christian scholar, this preacher, and this Bible uh, translator that the Protestant Reformation really got a foothold and started. Sometime before his death in 1384, he was standing alone against verbal and physical attacks. He stayed at the task, however, of translating both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible into the English language a project that was so unpopular that it led to his martyrdom. John Wycliffe was burned at the stake for translating, if you can believe it, the Bible from the Latin Vulgate into the English translation of the Bible. You see, only at that time, professional clergy could read the Scriptures. The Bible was chained to these ornate pulpits, you might want to say. 
And while threats were being hurled against him, John Wycliffe finished his monumental task, and then he wrote these words in the flyleaf cover of his own translation of the Bible. He wrote these words. The Bible is translated and shall make possible a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Little did John Wycliffe know that 50 years later, his words would be lifted up from the page of his Bible and immortalized by a president in the new world who would promise a new birth of freedom based on the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Less than a year and a half later, President Abraham Lincoln was killed, and among the hundreds who reported his death, one put it one put his finger on the truth when he wrote, quote, The death of Abraham Lincoln marks the end of an era. There are some lives, because of their accomplishments, that bring the beginning of an era or the end of the era. Because of their thinking and because of their character, bring such a void that nobody else can fill their shoes. The death of David... He's at the end of his life. Death is right around the corner. He knows it. He is the greatest king that Israel has ever had. And it was the end of an era. As great as David's son Solomon became, the next king of Israel, he could not take the place or equal the reign of his father David. This is the background for 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we find the last recorded words of David in the twilight years of his life, knowing that death is imminent right around the corner. And knowing all of this, David talks about a number of things. The first thing I find it interesting in this passage of Scripture is, is that David talks about his regret. He has a regret in his life. He would not be able to build the temple. He wanted to build the temple. He had a dream to build the temple. But God said to him, no, you're not to build the temple. You're not the one that's going to do it, David. I don't want you to do it. After four decades of service to Israel, David, white-haired, stooped in, soldier, uh, in his sh shoulders by the years, looked for the last time in the faces of his trusted followers and his friends, and look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 28, First Chronicles. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers of the tribes, the commanders, the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and the livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty warriors, and all the brave men, the commanders and the officers and his own son and his children and his family. There was a large gathering of these people. And no doubt, I, I can picture it in my mind's eye, raising his hand up to get their attention. Each face representing a memory of the past in a voice that was still strong but perhaps quivering because of age. He said in verses 2 through 3, notice... He rose to a feet and he said, listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart. That's an interesting word there. I had it in my gut. I had it in the depths of my being. Notice, 
to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you're not to build a house for my name because you're a warrior. You have shed blood. Now, if you get the context of this, and if you remember, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, but when the prophet came to him and told him that David was not going to be the one to build the temple, David literally fell where he was at. His legs collapsed from underneath him because he wanted to build a temple. It was a great disappointment. It was a loss of a dream. And I find it very interesting that he begins this sacred assembly by telling those people of his regret and the loss of his dream. But God said, you're not the person, you're not the man, because you've shed blood, you're a warrior, you had a different purpose to your life. And God used you to accomplish a number of things, but this is going to be, in so many words, God said to him, this is going to be an unfulfilled dream that you have in your personal life. Now, I I feel the spirit of those words and of that verse because I know that in every heart there is dreams. And those of you that are young adults, you haven't had that many unfulfilled dreams. You're still trying to accomplish dreams and visions and things that you feel like God has given you in your life. But there's a word to those of us who are middle-aged and those of us who are elderly and those of us who are a little bit older. Because perhaps life has not turned out exactly the way that you envisioned when you were younger, the way that you saw your life. And I find that, like David, we all have unfulfilled dreams. Some of us, when we are young, we imagine having a wife or a, or a husband and a family, and we imagine staying with that person all the way through life. We didn't imagine them dying. We didn't imagine a divorce And we've had those losses and we've had those disappointments. Others of us, perhaps we wanted to start a business and we wanted to go in a certain direction, but something occurred and something happened and we were blocked from seeing that happen. Or some of us perhaps have had ministry in mind. We felt called to be missionaries and we felt called to be be involved in ministry. And for some reason, that hasn't come to fruition in our lives. There was a good man, a good man, a family man. He just died this past year. He set one foot into his workplace, one foot into his workplace, and he died of a major heart attack in the doorway and fell flat on his face this past year. A good man, a family man, a man that was not a regular attender at our church, but he came to church whenever... Uh, his wife twisted his arm. <laughs> One of those situations. But I remember talking to Bob, and he said to me, Pastor Ron, I worked for this auto parts store in downtown Sonora year after year after year, and it was my dream. I made it known to the owners that if they ever sold that business, 
I wanted to buy that business. We were saving the money. We had the cash money. The owner died overnight, and the kids sold it to someone else. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I was so disappointed. We all have losses and and dreams, and things don't always turn out the way that we want them to. David faced, however, this reality as a man after God's own heart would face it. I want you to look specifically at verse 3 with me. But God said to me, you're not to build a house for my name because you're a warrior and because you have shed blood. And then the Lord goes on and says, you're not the person, but your son, Solomon, will be the person. Solomon, his name means shalom, peace. He has a different temperament. He has a different purpose. He has a different ministry. David was a warrior. David was a man of bloodshed. But Solomon would be a diplomat. Solomon would be a, you might want to say, a person that would bring people together. Solomon's intents and purpose, among other things, was to build this temple that David wanted so badly to build. God said, it's going to come through your son. Through your son, Solomon. And we hear a relief, you might want to say, in the context, in the voice. It's as though he's saying, okay, I'm not the one. But my son is going to be the one to build it. Now, this is the challenge for us, especially those of us, again, who are in the last years of our life. Because you know what I found out? I found out that a lot of people my age and older, they live with a lot of wouldas and couldas and a lot of guilt. For some reason, wouldas, couldas, and shouldas swamped with all this stuff. But we can say, we can say, by God's grace, I did the best with what I could, with what I knew. I did the best. You weren't the most perfect father. You weren't the most perfect uh, mother. You weren't the most perfect spouse. But I did the best that I knew how with what I had. David said, I regret not building the temple. But God said, no, by God's grace, He gave me other things to do, and I made the best of the situation that I found myself in. So are we going to focus, listen, are we going to focus on the wouldas, the couldas, the shouldas, the guilt, or the lost dreams? Are we going to focus on the fact that God did use us and helped us and forgave us and gave us grace and enabled us to live meaningful lives despite our failures. One of the founders of our denomination, a prince of a preacher, his name was Phineas Brzee. 
You don't hear that name anymore, do you, Phineas? But Phineas Berzee, at the turn of the century, was booted out. He pastored some of the largest Methodist churches in Southern California, and he was he was too evangelical for the Methodist church at the turn of the century, if you can believe it. And he basically was booted out of the Methodist denomination by his bishop. And he founded, with a number of other individuals, the Church of the Nazarene. But did you know that in his autobiography that he parked his buggy intentionally? After he put the horse away, he parked his buggy intentionally every morning toward the sunrise. For the sun, toward the sunrise. He would start every day that way because he wanted to face the future possibilities and not to dwell on the past failures or to dwell on the what, what is and the couldas and the shouldas and the guilt of life. We have so much guilt and we often feel so badly that life didn't turn out better for us. But I want to tell you something, that God enables us and helps us despite the losses and despite the failures and despite these sudden deaths, whatever it may be. He uses all of that and he makes good out of the bad. Always has, always will that way. So here's David. He mentions his regret over the fact that he was not be, going to be able to build the temple and at least God gave him a word and said it's going to come through your son. And the second thing I want you to notice is that he wanted to relay his son. The second subject that it brings up in this particular passage of scripture, he wanted to relate to his son an inexperienced ruler, final words of counsel. An inexperienced ruler, final words of counsel. Now, again, David must have smiled to himself uh, knowing that his dream of building the temple would come through his son. And and I, I like to picture uh, David here, no doubt, filled full of emotion and and um, relieving, relieving some of the past years as king, looking back over the 40 years. And he said to his son these words. Look at verse 9 with me. Um, Actually, um, I, I, I want you to look at verse 8. So now I charge you in the sight of Israel and all the assembly of, of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And notice specifically to, to Solomon, And you, my son, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive before the thoughts. If you seek him, you will find he will be found by him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work of the Lord. Now, if you knew that you only had a short while to live and you wanted to pull your children into your house and you wanted to give them some advice and you wanted to give some them counsel and you wanted to pass on some words of wisdom what would you say to your children what what were the things that you would try to convey to them and solomon basically starts out and he says you know i want you to pursue godliness i want you to pursue holiness 
Specifically, he says, number one, he said, I want you to have an intimate understanding of who God is. I want you to know know the Lord. I want you to know him. Not just in your mind, but I want you to know him in your heart. I want you to have an intimate knowledge of who God is. You know, the Apostle Paul describes it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Knowing God, this is what he says. He writes, My determined purpose is that I may know him, speaking of Jesus Christ, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding more strongly and clearly who he is. Solomon, I want you to know the Lord. The second thing that David conveys to him, he says, Solomon, I want you to labor on the Lord's behalf. I want you to serve him. And I want you, number three, to seek after him wholeheartedly. Know him, serve him, and seek after him. Follow his footsteps. Don't follow your own agenda, but listen to the Lord, be led by him, Trust him with all your heart, and he's going to direct your paths. Follow him. Listen to the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. Don't just follow your own agenda. Serve him. Then David gives Solomon advice on how to build a temple, room by room, according to verses 11 through 19. The other subject that he talks about, or the, the thing that he does here is, is that he, he prays, an extemporaneous prayer for the nation and specifically for his son. And there are three things that I want you to note about this particular prayer that he prays. Look at verses uh, 10 through 13 with me. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then, notice, he gave the plans, etc., etc., I'm over in uh, chapter 29, excuse me, chapter 29, verse 10. Notice David's prayer. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom for you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. First of all, I want you to notice that David praises God for who he is. There's majesty. He adores God. He acknowledges him. His focus is fixed on the majesty of God. Second, there is thanksgiving for what God has done. God has accomplished so much in his life, the nation's Israel's life. And then there is third, intercession. And I want you to look specifically how he intercedes for the nation of Israel and his son. Look at verses 18 and 19. O Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And notice, give my son Solomon wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, your requirements and decrees and to do everything 
to build this palatial structure for which I have provided. And then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. What a moment that must have been. What a moment that was. It was the end of an era. It did not end in sadness. It did not end in grief, but with gladness and rejoicing before the Lord. And Solomon became king. And the Lord, according to 1 Chronicles 29, verses 22 through 25, highly exalted Solomon, his son. Again, what a father. What a moment. What a king. God used him despite his failures, despite his faults. He was a man after God's own heart. When David died and Solomon was elected the new king, the nation was now unified under one flag. A a royal capital, the city of David, Jerusalem, was established. The military forces of Israel was now uh, respected by all the enemies around them. Every enemy had been subdued. Israel's borders had expanded from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. Prosperity had been brought by extensive trade routes that David had set up. The people, the people hungered for God. There was righteousness. The sounds of David's psalms and songs were being sung from one end of the kingdom to the other. And the the temple and its template and the plans from room to room in detail was planned out. Solomon, his son, inherited all these things from David, this man after God's own heart, the end of an era. Would you bow your head with with me and let's pray together.